Hello, everybody. Welcome to Miss Radio. I'm your host, Madeline Smith. And today we have an amazingly powerful episode for National Coming Out Day, which is today if you're listening to this podcast. So today is a day of celebration for an intense and powerful journey for many people across the world. And I got to spend over an hour and a half talking with some truly powerful people uh, about their experiences and a lot of the nuances of what it means to have a queer identity. And um, even within the LGBTQIA+, all of the idiosyncrasies and niches of, of what it means to be your authentic version of yourself. So uh, we had some technical issues with Zoom. Some of the audio is a, this is some, this is some dirty audio, but the content is raw and vulnerable and powerful and amazing. So I hope you enjoy and uh, happy National Coming Out Day to everyone. Thanks so much. Here we go. Welcome all. I am so happy to have you here. I would love for each of you to take a moment to introduce yourselves. I'm Madeline, she, her, hers pronouns. And uh, yeah, Maya, why don't you go ahead and start and introduce yourself for our conversation? Okay, um, so I'm Maya, they, them, theirs. Um, I'm in the joint IEM MPA program and my favorite color is pink. Yes, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Nice. Uh, Steven, why don't you go ahead? Okay. My name is Steven James Mokler. I'm a third semester IEM MPA student, and my favorite color is purple. Oh, I love it. Femi, what's your favorite color? Um, hi, my name is Femi. They, them, theirs. Uh, first semester IEM student, and my favorite color is cerulean blue. Ooh, okay. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That'll All I can think about is that Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. <laughs> I literally was just about to quote that. <laughs> Her whole monologue about Cerulean Blue. Um, that's amazing. Well, you guys, thanks so much for being here. Today, we are talking about National Coming Out Day, which is just such a wonderful thing for the whole LGBTQ plus movement. Um, Angela, our vice president of QAM, which I found out you can also call QAM, and that that's actually the original <laughs> way that the founder uh, um, uh, intended it to, to be pronounced. So I love the word QAM, so I really think I'm going to start running with QAM. Anyways, tangent. Um, but Angela said another way to do that that's more ownership is inviting in. So I would love to start our conversation there before we get into sharing stories about how you guys feel about the difference between coming out versus inviting someone in to a stronger sense of your identity. I'll start. Oh, 
Okay, so um, I think, well, actually, I was talking to one of my friends about this the other day. I think, like, coming out, I don't really like the concept of coming out because it's like we we make such a big deal about it. But f- I don't know. I don't think it should be that big of a deal. Like, people already assume that, well, depending on your age, um, people assume that everyone's just heterosexual. Right. That's like how we grew up, really. So making coming out seem like this big thing. I mean, it is a very big thing, but I don't think it should be. It should just be like be whoever you are and inviting in. I do think that is a better way to put it, like inviting people who are different from you into the conversation and getting to know them and knowing when to ask questions and when not to just letting them tell their story instead of it being imposed upon them. Yeah, no, I really like that perspective. Stephen, what about, what about you? Yeah. So I actually, I've thought about this a lot. And um, one of the things that comes up when we have this discussion is that coming out that idea, like Maya said, is something that has become like, it's all, it's like, you know, it's like absolute at a pride parade. It's like Wells Fargo sponsors this float. You know, it's a very kind of almost, it's become a very corporate way of doing your like revealing your true self. Yeah. And it's often like wrapped up with, <clears throat> it's very white. It's a yeah. very white concept. Yeah. You know, you know, you get to throw up in the closet and you, you know, you're going to be embraced and, and it's actually, it's, there's a lot of potential for violence yeah. in coming out. You know, you have to reveal yourself. You have to, you know, you are opening yourself up to other people. And, you know, we all know that that, you know, you face rejection that way. Yeah. And so in inviting people in instead, again, like Maya said, you, you know, you let people know and you bring them in and you get to know them. And as you're more comfortable with them, then they, then they are allowed to know you. Mm-hmm. And, and then also I like the idea of inviting in because you can always be asked to leave. Yeah. You know, there is no, I think like, that's a big thing. Like people sometimes, and that's like my, that's, you know, well, if we talk about it at all, but like the coming out journey, like I didn't come out till I was 24. And a big reason for that was because I didn't want to like give anyone the satisfaction of like, yeah, I got him. Like I knew we've known, yeah. you know, it's a glass closet. We could always see. And so, no, it's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But also you're not invited to the party. So you can you know. stay out of the glass closet. Yeah. <laughs> like, a fabulous closet, by the way. Right in on my party. <laughs> so, you are not invited. Yeah. Get out. <laughs> that's right. I love that, so. Stephen. Femi, what about you? What do you think? So I have a different perspective. Um, this one is really centering Black people and my own experience. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm always fascinated with these new terms because oftentimes these are not terms that's very familiar. And I'm going to speak specifically to the Black community in a very general way. Mm-hmm. But these are not terms that I feel like is accessible to Black people, especially in inner cities. These are terms that kind of, for me, is like queerness, which is, it starts at the higher education level. Mm-hmm. And in some way, we have this expectation that trickles down. So coming in, coming out. Um, I love the idea of coming in. I do think that it um, 
while it is like inviting and saying like you need to leave with questions and learning about you know who i am and what my perspective is um it oftentimes kind of assumes at least how i see it assumes that you're already like in your your queerness you you know mm-hmm. you're already someone who's like exploring it you're comfortable um you're wearing probably playing with mama's lipstick or you're or you're playing with dinosaurs if you were me and was still like maybe i want to play with play double dutch you know right. um but i think that black men especially right and I'm being really specific here, I think with the hyper-masculinity and our perception of queerness, oftentimes we don't have the option of calling people in or coming in, inviting people to our sexuality. Um, I, I, that wasn't my experience. Like, I couldn't, I didn't have that affordability. Like, I wasn't afforded that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't say to my mom, lead with questions, ask those questions. When I was coming out, I was stepping into my truth. Mm-hmm. I was celebrating and honoring the journey of being gay at the time, which I don't identify anymore. I'm queer, but I was I was getting beginning to get my feet wet and understand what that is. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of times black people, both men and women, cisgender, queer, trans, we don't have the ability to to call come in or call in when it comes to our sexuality. Oftentimes it is stepping out of the closet because as a declaration mm-hmm. and is met with violence a lot of times because is um, whiteness or gayness, I should say, is seen as like a cultural wonder to white people. It's not a thing that black people, that's unique or special to the black community, which is largely ignorant. And so um, I think now as an adult at 29, I will say call in in a professional coming in versus call um, coming out, excuse me, new term. Um, I would encourage people now as someone who's confident and who celebrates themselves to to come in. Come on in, honey. Like, mm-hmm. ask those questions. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize that that's not the reality of our young um, Black youth. Uh, they can't do that. Mm-hmm. And times is changing. I mean, like, my students from a very young age is like, I'm pan, I'm bi. And obviously, like, that's a testament to the societal shift. Mm-hmm. But... Um, not everybody has afforded that so that's what i think about in terms of those two yeah no that's that's really interesting and i like what you um said about um at the very beginning about like higher educated i feel like at the academic level there are all of these things where you're afforded the the time and space and safety to like really ruminate on all of these things instead of just existing and like, you know, going day to day and like, you know, just being. Um, so I think that that's a, a really good point. But, you know, I, I also thought, Stephen, I totally related to what you said about coming out being kind of, um, you know, the whiteness of it. And, and I hadn't even thought of the the violence aspect of of coming out, which shows my ignorance, right? So, you know, um, I think that those are all really good points. And it looks like we have Anna. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Awesome. Also, I'm so sorry. I literally just saw your email. No, and I totally anticipated that. So no worries at all. Welcome to the party. Thank you. We're hanging out in a glass closet. (laughs) Um, Anna, do you want to take a second to introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. So we're doing names, pronouns, and favorite color. 
Ames pronouns, favorite color. Okay, so my name is Anna. My favorite color, I tend to say rainbow because it's hard to choose, but I guess I could say either blue or purple. Mm -hmm. And um, what was the other question? Pronouns. <laughs> pronouns. Uh, she, her, hers. Cool, cool. Well, welcome to the party. We were just talking about the difference between the terms coming out and inviting in. So I don't know, this was a new term to Femi and it was a new term to me up until a week ago. Um, but the, the, the different concepts of like coming out and like exposing yourself and, 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 you know, kind of doing that versus inviting in, which is, you know, as it was explained to me, a, a sense of more ownership of who gets to be involved in your identity and your reality. Um, We've heard some great views up until now. I would love to invite your perspective. If you feel ready, you just got here. So if you need a second, you can take it. Um, but if you've thought about it at all, what you think of coming out versus inviting in? Um, I, I can go ahead and yeah. just pipe in with my thoughts on that. I hadn't actually heard the um, phrase inviting in instead of coming out until that article that was put out by Angela. And for me, it makes a lot more sense because that's been my experience with quote unquote coming out is it's basically just, I'm inviting people into that aspect of my um, reality. And I don't necessarily share that with everyone. So it makes a lot more sense to me and I, I prefer it now that I know that's a thing. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah, Femi, I, Femi and, and Maya and Steven just shared their, their thoughts about it. Um, and, you know, Femi, if you'd like to synthesize, I feel like Femi had the one answer that was kind of an outlier that I really appreciated the perspective. If you'd be willing to summarize it really quickly for Anna. Um, yeah, Anna. Um, so what I was saying about, and by the way, I was saying coming in when it was inviting in. Okay, so inviting in versus coming out, Anna. What I was saying is that um, inviting in, for me at least on a very surface level, I said how that sounds like a very higher de a definition or term that was developed in a higher education realm and doesn't necessarily trickle down into like the inner city, like New York City. And I imagine like ballroom culture, right? Because black people like queerness is not, it's a new term when we talk about like queer theory, queer literature is not a part of the black imagination. So when we say coming, inviting in, for an example, it almost assumes that you're you're already celebrating yourself um that you're ready in your full embodiment of who you are and you're just telling people you know leave with questions get to know what my reality is um whereas that wasn't my reality my reality was very much like coming out was a declaration it was celebrating the journey of being um, and imagining what those endless possibilities uh, will be. And I feel like uh, Black folks, specifically in my community, don't necessarily have the, are not afforded to invite in because of the violence, because of the perception around queer gayness, the LGBTQ community. Um, we're not necessarily always inviting in a lot of times. We're consistently coming out. Um, and I also want to add that this other piece to it, 
now I'm thinking about is coming out the first step to inviting in? Do you come out first as a declaration and then invite in to for people to understand what your realities are as a queer person, um, as a trans person, as someone who's bisexual or pan? Um, that's kind of now what I'm thinking about. Is this a two-step process? For me, yeah, coming out is more of like, hi, I'm Femi. And inviting in is saying, and this is what my reality is. See, I feel like it sets the stage. Like you have to, like you invite in first to come out. It's like, Mm -hmm. hey, like here is this room of like, hey, like I got a room I want to show you. Like like, you're you're gonna come up, you're gonna come up to my, you're gonna come up to my identity. And we're going to set, like, we're going to set the lights and we're going to get some drinks and <laughs> I'm going to show you this room. Absolutely. And then when we get in that room, I'm going to tell you something really important. And so, like, you invite them into the room, you know, it's, you know, maybe some rose petals, some nice, like, <laughs> chilled beets. Are you, you just got telling them, Steven, or yeah, are exactly, you, like, right? courting first, 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 first. <laughs> and then, you, you know, you set them down, you make them comfortable and you're like... I am X. And then there you go. You've, you know, you've invited someone in you, you know, and that's really, you know, they make it such a big party. I would just like a nice cheese plate, you know, that would just be... a charcuterie board. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that is, I mean, it, yes, Who that's what I want. love a good charcuterie board. And both of you just brought up such a good point that it doesn't have to be either or like you just really very concisely spoke to the complexity of the queer experience. And I think that that's a really good segue to sharing some of your guys's complexities, you know? So Femi, you know, you spoke to how yours has been a process. Same with me. I'd love to invite whoever wants to speak first about your experience and its complexity to go ahead and, and share a little bit. Loaded question, Maddie. Is it loaded? Did I lock and load? I don't mind starting since okay, I've been cool. starting the the train so yeah. far. Um, you. You're welcome. <laughs> so I guess mine is I don't know. Hmm. It started when answer. I was five. Just kidding. Um, so like, <laughs> um, but I mean, like I grew up. I'm a black person from the south like i feel like that says a lot (laughs) bible belt everything so my family is like very very religious but growing up it's like i always knew there was something different but i didn't know because we didn't have the terms you know i didn't have like the education couldn't open up to my family about it because they're like no you know like gay people are bad and they're gonna harm everybody so that's great hearing that growing yeah. up <laughs> lots of therapy um so I guess like in college um I started to like learn more about sexuality um and just learn more in general and started to let go of the negative so it was like a bumpy journey in college because I knew there was something like I first identified as bisexual because I felt like I needed to keep the heterosexual part of me if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and like I have a husband but and it's so weird that's one of the things about being like a black person in the south it's like you have a husband so you must be this 
and you're going to have children and we expect these things of you. And it's like, no, like <laughs> I could be whoever I want to be. Mm-hmm. And my husband is my best friend. So he totally understands me. So then when I went abroad and I started to notice like how people abroad were treated because of their sexuality, especially in East Asia, I felt like I didn't like, I told some people about my sexuality at that point, which was bisexual. Um, But I didn't tell a lot of people, A, because I was worried about my job, and B, because I didn't know how people would react um and that's that was a reality you know like you can't come come out to everyone and not everyone who's invited in will accept you so that was a really big thing um but as when i moved back to the states and i started to learn more um read more i actually got a workbook about it it's really good when I find the name, I will tell you. Um, <laughs> but I got a workbook about it. And then I started to realize, like, oh, I'm pansexual. I just don't care. And I think that that's something that, like, like as Femi mentioned, like, in the Black community, we don't talk about these things. Like, they're really buried. And I remember my mom asking me about it, and she was like, but how can you be that way and you have a husband or how can you be that way? And, you know, like she was like not concerned. She wasn't mean. She was just very, very curious about it. Like, how do you do this and that? And it's like, well, because that's just who I am. I can't change who I am. I'm pansexual and I accept everyone. Mm -hmm. Like that's just who I am. So I guess my coming out coming out story is like a mixture between inviting people in and not necessarily like making a very big thing about it because I was just always worried like something would happen yeah um but here I am today (laughs) yeah and I'm so grateful you're here today Maya you brought up two really great points that I would love to explore a little bit before other people share their stories and that's queerness and professionalism and queerness in the black community which I know very little about um so both of them sound like queerness is contentious buried um unacceptable um a negative connotation um and you know I'd like to invite y'all to to talk about some experiences you've had either in the black community or you know in the professional community where you actually felt like your queerness would negatively impact you Mm, that's powerful uh first of all maya thank you for sharing uh experience and, and perspective and those two questions that you had maddie really influenced my journey a lot. So I'm curious, like Maya, what's yours or if you need more time? Um, I guess like, hmm, I'm really thinking about like my early twenties. Yeah. Um, when I started to realize that, well, when I started to accept the other part, other part of me, I guess that's how I could say it. Um, yeah, I think I didn't, I was afraid that I would be somehow like exiled if that makes sense 
um, or alienated by my family or by the people I care about, which most of them were black. Um, but actually, so this it's funny because the person who started Quam is one of my very good friends and she knew me at that time. So like, yeah, so I talked to her about this stuff. So I think that she also helped me like accept more about me. Um, But yeah, I think it was really just like being exiled and feeling so alienated. Those were the two things that I was like scared of. Mm -hmm. And that does happen. Like I didn't want to be like cut off from my family, but now I kind of don't care because I'm like this atheist pansexual black person um yes just and let's celebrate life. that <laughs> sorry i cut you off to celebrate you no Please you're continue. good <laughs> thank you <laughs> um yeah and you had i feel like what you've explained of your upbringing you know it sounds like you had so much to lose you know like with mm-hmm. um with being honest and authentic about who you were so yeah just Props to you for taking that journey and honoring yourself. Um, I just want to, I mean, I think that that fear of like losing your support network is like very universal to queer people. I mean, I think in our specific communities, it takes on like there are different aspects of it. Like I'm sure that there are, you know, there were things that I was afraid of in my specific Irish Catholic context that, you know, is probably very different than what, someone in the black community might face, but I feel that that fear of, you know, I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to. Steven, you're cutting out. What Femi? (laughs) What'd you say? I said, uh oh, SpaghettiO. <laughs> Yo, um, have you had SpaghettiOs recently? It is not good. <laughs> oh, it's nasty. Yeah, those meatballs. Mm. <laughs> mm, what is that? Questionable. <laughs> um, well, before Stephen comes nasty, back, nasty, nasty, <laughs> so nasty. Um, well, before Stephen comes back, you know, I think the point he was making about fear being a universal feeling um is really really relevant and what flavor of fear we're all experiencing is unique to us but you know that fear of fallout from the people around us who you know like our support systems are everything so i think that that fear is is really really valid and it's unfortunate that um that some people aren't lucky enough to to maintain support systems that they thought were there originally um, throughout their process. Stephen James Mokler, back in the conversation. Yes, I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> I, my horrible apologies. No, uh, totally so fine. I'll just, yeah. So uh, what I was saying that, you know, that that's a universal fear that you'll be excommunicated from whatever group you're a part of for whatever reason, you know, people are not going to want to be associated with you anymore. And the, you know, just that it's been floating around, but I really agree with it. Like you remember every anti queer thing people close to you say as you're growing up and all of the times that it's reinforced that, you know, queer, you know, because heterosexual, you know, it is the system, the system of hetero 
patriarchy is the default. And that is, you know, the where we find ourselves in. And so you always have to, you know, once you decide to buck that system, even if it is just because you want to be you and you want to love the people you love and express yourself in the ways that you want to express yourself, you know, that's inherently, you know, disempowering. Um, and so then obviously the intersections of race and class and, you know, I think that it's a, it's a very, very small chunk that get that, like, you know, go, you know, they've known since they were five and they were able to do, you know, and express themselves however they wanted, or that, you know, they get to high school and it's easy. And, you know, so often you see it in those stories that there is just one, dominant race and class profile that actually has access you know there is only there's a reason why simon is white right you know that it so what's that a reference to is that a movie i love simon yeah okay got it i was like i think i know that reference (laughs) yeah i'd like to uh invite femi to say what he was they were gonna say yeah um so my coming out story is just a very complicated very like hurtful journey that ended up with uh, very much of glitters and just like ownership of who i am but you know i came out at 18 i was always the kid who loved the dinosaurs i was an animal saver went to the pet store and was like i'm taking all your animals and i'm going to release them in my house because i need to save them so my mother had no clue that this was going to be a young boy who is going to morph into this like gender queer individual for her it was very much like oh you like dinosaurs you like animals check check okay you're you're straight and i come from a deeply christian household my mom at least my dad is from a different religion but so i um when i came out at 18 i've always i had I was sexually assaulted by someone in my family and that, and that left me feeling confused because I started developing emotions for um, girls that was in my classroom and I like had like three different occasions in my life sexually assaulted. Um, in violence, right, in this umbrella term. I was very much saying to my mom that um, I wrote, I was a writer, literary art, I'm a literary artist, and I wrote this beautiful um, biography or lyrical poetry, if you will, um, to my mom, and just walking her through that journey, right? Uh, And here, and maybe I didn't know at the time, but I think this was like me inviting in, and my brother was in the room, my older brother, and my mom says to me, as long as you're that way, I will never accept and that was the most hurtful thing she had said to me. And um, from there, I just got worse. She said things like, I hope you, you know, catch AIDS and die. She didn't want me to be a part of family um, events because I was an embarrassment to her. And I'm DL at the time, right? Like, I'm not even like down low. I'm not even, you know, out there yet. And then, you know, the first person to accept me, who was also a person that, like, didn't sexually abuse me, but it physically abused me, was my older brother. And I was like, no matter who you are, 
I will still love you and accept you. My mom ultimately kicked me out. I was a young person who was homeless and highly mobile in high school, preparing for graduation and um, contemplating suicide several times, like completing suicide. Um, I ended up in a men's shelter, a grown men's shelter. Um, and like I got into the shelter system and I was like fighting as just to survive in New York City. And I met best friend at the time as you know someone who was just always and i'm using boy at the time as how i identified we didn't know how to articulate ourselves we didn't know how to express that pain that we experienced with that parents um or parent and we survived and we got into this men's shelter where i had this older guy who and in words island is what it's called the new york city brooklyn new york here but i lived in harlem at the time who um this guy i wake up to him in a towel with him groping me and that was, I didn't know how to process that. And I also, now as an adult, it's been years since we've seen each other, but it's survival. Like I was, we were like, my best friend and I at the time was with him and another person was older. And like, we relied on him for survival and he was a violent person and we got into fights and I was exposed to environment that was just so and to be get exposed to like HIV I mean I wasn't I'm not someone who's living with HIV but I didn't know what that was I didn't know what it meant to wear condoms I didn't know what sex was my mom didn't have to talk so I was you know vulnerable I was a vulnerable youth and this guy ultimately was someone who who knowingly were living with HIV and was still giving it to people and you know at the time like for me it was just like I didn't want to be I, didn't, I knew something was wrong and I didn't want to be a part of that. But a, a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, who I haven't known, seen in years, you know, was someone who definitely have, had faced violence from this man. And so I got into this youth shelter and I'm just like, this world is very new. And from there, I like, had this deep hatred for my mom. Um, and I, what was so important for me was like, I needed to get away. I needed, I just wanted to disappear and, and nobody knew who or where I was. I was dead to them. And, um, and that kind of what led me to want to go overseas. And ultimately, like when I got into, um, in the, um, shelter, I had met this person who I still call my gay mama in the ballroom scene. If you watch Pose, you have a gay mama. My gay mama was Atlanta drag queen who was very much like, um, honey, I'm gonna teach you like how to be you. And that's when like, you know, that's when I learned the power of the snap, right? So yeah, now look I'm at your shoulders shimmying right now. I love it. <laughs> Do my eyebrows. <laughs> uh, and then I transitioned to be a femme queen. And in gay terms, like a femme queen, I'm presenting myself as a woman. At the time, I'm still like, I'm gay. Now I'm transitioning into like being a femme queen. And now I'm entertaining this idea to be trans. And then... You know, I I got the weave, the makeup. I'm decked out. I'm like I'm teaching I'm teaching friends how to do catwalk. I'm like this is how you feel. I, and this is right around the time when the whole it gets better campaign was at you know very visible. And I was like this is when it was Gay Straight Alliance. And I was like I'm gonna be the president of Gay Straight Alliance. And I'm really owning myself. But then I grew up in a Caribbean neighborhood where um, I faced violence. I had a guy who was just like you know you. Bati boy, which in Jamaican Pachwa is like you, uh, you know, the F word. And um, they told me, followed me on the bus and said, I, you know, I'm going to F 
F fuck you up and, uh, you know, threatened, said he hopes that I get hit by a car. Like, that's, I remember calling the cops and telling the cops about this and the cops completely dismissed this violence that I had. Um, so it, it, for me, it didn't feel like it was getting better. But as I got older, um, the violence really shaped my idea of myself because here I was, my old friends till this day used to call me Janae Sokunt Kana. That was my name in college. That was the name that I wanted to go by. Janae, Janae this, Janae that. But then violence hit and violence said you were not allowed to be trans because you will your life expectancy will shorten significantly and um and i couldn't fathom that like that's something i couldn't sit with and i couldn't also sit with the fact i wanted to do public relations and i was a person who's transitioning to be trans and so i took a step back of from who i was janae and i kind of you know put that and uh, just reverse the, the journey of traveling abroad and experience in terms of being comfortable with myself. Um, it, but I forgot what it meant to be, to love myself, to celebrate. And I love people like Big Frida and RuPaul, um, who is teaching me, who taught me over the years, right? And like shows like Noah's Ark on Logo, me the importance as a black person in SUNY purchase on the conflicting identities of the black homosexuals when I had that moment where I said, I need to really like start honoring myself and celebrating. And um, I did just that. But now I'm at a place as a queer person, which is a new term that I started to take up in the past two years, um, is still learning how to be free because it was something liberatory about liberating about being trans about being you know who didn't give two fucks about what people thought and i was wearing short shorts and i was decked out and felt beautiful and i was just like i'm gonna be this person who's gonna you know mentor other queer people and um now now as a queer person a professional setting i always put my black identity first and I always put my students, when my students say, like, even earlier this year, well, Mr. Javier, which is my first name, are you gay? Are you trans? Is this moment of hesitation. Well, do I tell you? Like, what is the violence? Like, I lose this access to young people and their trust. And then suddenly queerness becomes a secondary identity. So now I'm learning how to make it primary and where those two, Black and queerness, is number one, no longer one and two. And that's been a challenge because of the violence that I've incurred from my mom and from family members and just in the professional setting. And that's kind of just like where I'm at now professionally. I mean, I'm still confident and very like, um, and very like proud of who I am, but I'm still I'm trying to understand or reclaim my time that was lost from Janae Connor, who I still refer to um, as a, a source of uh, inspiration. Wow, Femi, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I feel like your experience is something so many people go through that um, that I've only ever like heard about in with lots of degrees of separation. So it sounds like you've done a lot of work to own yourself and your multiple identities and everything like that. And I just want to take a second to say I'm so grateful that you're here and I'm so proud of your journey. And thank you for sharing that. And so much violence in life and I think you brought up such an amazing point about how that violence 
confused you and confused your identity. That's such a reality for so many people. So unfortunate that it impacts people and takes away their time. Um, adds so many other deep layers to their journey that's already complicated enough in a heteronormative society. Yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing all of that. And I just think you are incredibly strong. And I love that. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, and, and it just highlights so much. Also, your point about children, you know, and professional settings. I mean, I could go on a tangent about how parents in educational environments do a disservice but to their kids by being helicopter people but <laughs> that's for a different episode i can share mine a little bit um mine is i mean i think as as you've eloquently said femi is like in process i was the tomboy kid my my family jokes that i'm my dad's only son because I was playing with Tonka trucks and I was mutilating my sister's Barbies and, you know, I, I was building stuff and, and all of that. So I've always been like very gender neutral growing up and my parents got divorced when I was young. So I gained a lot of weight and I was like a hefty kid and that really impacted, you know, my natural growing into my sense of sexuality because I felt very rejected by my peers and in high school my friends um would always joke you know like maddie if anybody was going to be a dyke it would be you and it was really hurtful and it wasn't said in like a supportive yeah that'd be great if you if you did that you know like if that was a part of you etc cetera, etc cetera. so it was it was very like covert um, and I identify as bisexual, which is, I think, one of the queer identities that is is kind of has its own flavor of difficult, right? Because depending on who you're talking to, you're confused, you're not gay enough, you're not straight enough. I would say that I haven't even really had a full coming out. I've been inviting people in slowly to all this, all this stuff in my early 20s. I started embracing the fact that I was attracted to women and that started experimenting and, and all that kind of stuff. But even in my head, my internalized like homophobia towards myself was so strong that, you know, I was like, oh, this is just this is just a phase. You know, I'm just I'm just being wild. These are my 20s. And just recently, I think I had a, a semi epiphany that I that I have this narrative in my head that it would be a failure if my future partner were a woman, you know, that I would have failed at romance at, at a romantic life or, or something like that. So right as I started really embracing that. So I'm also two years sober. Uh, so, you know, sobriety was a really big deal for me to um, do a lot of work talking about therapy, Maya, you know, pro therapy over here. <laughs> Anybody who's, who says that they don't need to pay a stranger is wrong. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, you know, I think that there are just members of my family that I'm still timid and, and you know, kind of um, about saying like, hey, like I'm bisexual. It's not a phase. It's, it's not a joke. I'm not confused. Um, it's highly possible. I love what you said, Maya, about pansexuality. Like, I just don't care. 
Like, it's about energy between two people. Like, if I vibe with you, awesome. And I've been grappling with um, the bisexuality versus queer because it inherently kind of um, rules out non-binary genders. And, you know, I've heard different arguments about, like, no, it doesn't. Like, it's what you make it or or those kind of things. So I've, I've kind of been leaning more towards um, identifying as queer because I, I really... It's it's whoever I have a loving, safe connection with. Um, and so, yeah, my, my journey's had a lot of self-repression and a lot of drunken pain in the past of trying over and over again to deal with a gender that I don't necessarily uh, work well with. Yeah, so it's a work in progress and it's still, I mean, this is a big deal that I'm sharing it here right now just because I've invited so many, so few people in to that and we'll see if I can make that declaration for me <laughs> of, of coming out. But um, yeah, my experience with, with bisexuality and, and, you know, it's kind of an eye opener. You think the people around you are, are loving unconditionally and maybe that was just a privilege that I, or a delusion that I had the privilege to experience. But yeah, and then you start being yourself and sobriety and my sexuality, like a lot of people started falling off that support system and, you know, that exile. And you, you, it's, it's really painful. And I'm sure all of you understand in your own personal ways. But yeah, so work in progress over here. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it takes so much courage, and I'm just looking at four very courageous people. So I'm super proud that humans like you exist. There are five courageous people on this call, Maddie. Right. I was about to say. Yes. yes. Yeah. You good call-out, five. <laughs> <laughs> Thank don't, you. Don't sell it short. You don't get to reveal, like, you don't get to lay that out there and be like, but, oh, I'm not important. No. So that was, thank you for sharing See? with us. <laughs> that's the that's the subconscious repression. I'm like, all y'all. All <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. Um. Stephen, what was what was your experience, if you want to share? Uh, yeah, so like I mentioned, so like I mentioned, I came out later in life. I came out at the age of 24. And one of the things, and like I said, the thing that really held me back was this um, perception, people like trying to like, ha ha, gotcha. You know, that for a very long time, like we've always known and not wanting to give them the satisfaction uh, and then also being scared of all the repercussions that will come with that. And so um, I, you know, like, you know, Maya made the joke, it started when I was five and it's like, yeah, you know, you know, for a really long time, I was called out by my internet search history when I was in the eighth grade. You know, it's, there are moments where you like, you can make the decision and there, you know, it's just too scary to grapple with. And so, um, when I graduated high school, I ended up going to a state school. And so I was actually with a lot of the people that I had grown up with. And so, you know, I didn't have, you know, they talk about going to college being this big opportunity where you can reinvent yourself. 
But there were so many people who I still knew who knew me as I was in high school and had this idea of me that it just didn't feel comfortable. And then also being in the South, uh, being in Mississippi, it was definitely one of those things. Yeah, it would be someone could write a great dissertation about the University of Mississippi candidates for ASB president who are gay but do not come out until they graduate college. Um, you know, it's fascinating to see, you know, it's almost like every year there's always someone. Um, but it's, so that was a big thing that, you know, really kept, kept me in the closet for a very long time. And then uh, I moved to New York in 2017, I believe. It would have been the fall of 2017. And um, I didn't know anyone. I was complete. I mean, I had family who lived in the city, but you know, I wasn't anywhere near them. There was no way that I was going to run into them from my job. And so, I, like, it was the first time that I downloaded a dating profile, and I, you know, I set it for men. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I did it. I did it in a big way. And it was one of those things where it's like my queer liberation was like a big liberation from a lot of things. And so, you know, when I was in college, I was part of a fraternity. And even though it was more accepting, I still didn't feel like it was safe. And actually, my little brother in the fraternity was gay. And there were instances where people would come for him or, you know, he would, you know, they would treat him in a certain way. And I wouldn't come to his defense because I was scared and I was afraid to stick up for him. And so finally, when I stepped into, you know, and I feel terrible about that. I feel so bad. You know, and it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you can understand the social construct that I was living in. But at the end of the day, I wasn't there for someone that I really cared deeply about and wanted to see happy. And also while being deeply, deeply dissatisfied with myself at the same time. And so as soon as I was able to like open up, accept that, really own that part of myself, it was just, you know, I began dropping, you know, smash the patriarchy, anti-racism, like, we're going to go hard in the paint. Like, I'm not going to, you know, let this, the big thing that was holding me back is no longer there. And so I am free, like, as I'm negotiating this new world in my identity, I can also, like, I can create the world that I want to see and how powerful that was and how excited it makes me and how, um, you know, just how important that is for me. Um, and my life has gotten immeasurably better since I've been able to, you know, start committing myself to those things. So, um, but yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot, again, like as someone who is white and cis and, you know, you would think that I come out, like when I come out, I come into the, the biggest, like most visible privileged demographic of being gay, but you know, there really isn't a handbook and you come into this community that has all of these different, you know, body issues and, you know, different stigmas and, you know, you're learning, even though like I learned a lot from the internet, I wasn't like fully prepared to be a part of the community and even thinking about things like, you know, I had sex ed in high school, but it, please queer sex, 
Not, not even once. You know, it was one of those things where it was like a little, like maybe a little affirmation, like, like, yes. And there are queer people, but we don't talk about it. Um, and yeah, so the, like, that's a big part, I think, when, at least for, I feel, gay men and queer men, when they come out and start to explore that, those things, because there are so many different risks and things to consider being a part of the community that it is, you know, even when you try to be your true self and embrace that truth, you know, you're not, you're not safe at the same time. Uh, and so it's been interesting to try and navigate that as well. And, you know, trying to, you know, whenever, whenever I see a baby gay or baby queer or anyone, I'm always like so down to talk and be like, you need resources on prep. You need to know about, you know, you need to know about these organizations and here and have this literature and, you know, you know, welcome to the gay welcome center. How can I help you? Like, everything just give them all the literature um trying to make that experience a little bit safer and more comfortable um than it was for myself where i was like really just like white knuckling my way through like all right i have a dating profile and i set it to men let's see what happens yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're like hi i'll be your tour guide he does <laughs> <laughs> make sure you got them pumps on though <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Stephen. Yeah, I like white knuckling it. I think that that's a very good visual for the experience. Um, Anna, why don't you? I would love to hear about your experience if you want to share. Yeah. Um, so, just full disclosure, this is the first time I've ever publicly talked about my experience. So, in a sense, I am kind of coming out by doing this. Um, can we take so, a moment to just like yeah, <laughs> welcome Anna yes, I just got chills it was my first time too so you're good you're good Maya. well because like I've told like a few people but not very much Oh my Anna, God, you're yes. get, another get another cheer going for my uh, <laughs> <laughs> bring out some heels. I don't know. <laughs> Which color? Oh, you do not want to blue? see the Cerulean blue. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing, Anna. Please, I'm honored to be here. Thanks. So, kind of going back to how this conversation started a little bit the reason why I appreciated the inviting in idea was because for me, that's been my experience. I was too afraid to come out for quite a few years. And um, like Steven, I didn't start telling people that I was bisexual until I was 24. So this is all still fairly new to me. Um, but the signs were kind of always there, but I, the best way to explain it is Number one, I'm a military brat. My parents were both in the army. That's how they met. And while my parents have been incredibly supportive, um, they both came from an extremely conservative families. Many of them have no clue. And unless they listen to this, they probably will continue to not know for a while because they will either take it out against me or they'll take it out against my parents. Um, they are who I call blood relatives instead of family 
and that's for multiple reasons, but that's one of them. Um, and growing up, you know, being in the military community at a time when don't ask, don't tell was still very much a thing. I didn't see very many examples of, um, queer people living in their own reality and accepting and being proud of who they were. And so that was just, that wasn't something that occurred to me, anything that might have even remotely been an indicator that, you know, I'm not straight. I would have completely dismissed it and said, no, that there's no way that's not possible. And my internalized homophobia was quite strong and I just refused to acknowledge that there was anything there. And it took until, I think it would have been my senior year of undergrad. And I had been in a relationship with a man for over four years at that point. So it was also one of those, I didn't think I needed to deal with those feelings I was having because I thought I was going to marry this person. So it didn't really matter. And then (laughs) my incredibly straight, best friend decided when she was tipsy to kiss me. And that was the point when I realized, oh no, I need to actually deal with this because this is clearly more than just hormones for lack of a better way to put it. And even after recognizing that and acknowledging it, and by the way, she is completely proud of the fact that she's the reason I started questioning my sexuality. This is her favorite thing. Um, (laughs) That's a real best friend. Seriously, I I love her. She's great. Um, But yeah, even after I started accepting this and after um, I'd broken up with this long-term boyfriend, I still wasn't willing to accept that I was bisexual. I would say, oh, you know, sexuality is a spectrum, which it is, absolutely. But I was using that to justify still calling myself straight because I was too afraid to be anything but straight. I knew that my father would be accepting because my half-sister had already come out and I knew his reaction would be um, supportive and loving. I was worried about my mother, though. I didn't know how she would respond to me not, well, not being heterosexual. And I was afraid, not that she wouldn't still love me, but that somehow she would see it as her fault. And she wouldn't, she would think she did something wrong. And I, sorry, I I couldn't bear to have her think that. And so there were so many times when I came close to telling her, hey, just so you know, I might be bisexual. I'm still trying to figure this out, but I, I couldn't do it. I was too scared. I came really, really close once and still chickened out. So when I started at Miss a couple of years ago, um, I was living in a house with, there were four of us that were students in all different programs. And one of them had invited those of us in the room into the fact that he was bisexual. And that was the first time I felt comfortable actually physically saying, hey, you know what, so am I. And it was right around the time that Qualm also started as a club. And so Miss kind of became that opportunity for me to explore accepting that identity and inviting people in so that 
I could really learn to accept that for myself and also be able to allow other people to see me as that instead of being so afraid of anyone finding out that I just shut myself in. And it was after a year of this and Quam was one of those life-saving things for me. It was such a supporting environment that it allowed me to be more open. And it was after a year of being in Quam, being in grad school, letting people know that, hey, I am actually um, not straight the way I may appear. Uh, I finally told my parents. And I would not have been able to do that without that network that I hadn't had anywhere else. I already talked about the military thing, the extended family, clearly not supportive. I went to undergrad in a very conservative part of Wisconsin. So again, didn't feel all that comfortable, but Miss has been that place that's really allowed me to open up. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the idea of being queer along with professionalism. And that's something that now that I've started to come out and accept that side of me, I've started thinking about, well, what does it mean to be a professional in the space? Do I keep that part of me restricted and just let people in the way I have been? Do I be more public and open about it and take that risk? So that I'll, I'll just propose that as a question to everyone else on the call. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what it means to be queer in a professional space. And that with that, beautiful. that's my story. <laughs> It Thank made me you, cry. Yeah. I had to stop my video. <laughs> <laughs> it really did. Yeah, I've been to trying to cry. Because <laughs> I've done enough mm. crying yet, but sometimes it's, it does get the best of you. And, and mm -hmm. you, you have to let go of the energy and put it out there. Yeah. Mm. No, thank you for sharing that, Anna. I, I, that's yes. powerful. Really powerful. And powerful, mm -hmm. like, ending yeah, question. Mm-hmm. You know, what does that mean? It looks different in so many different professions. You know, I feel like there are professions that are so much more open to it. There are professions that are closed. I'm I'm curious in each of, we have a lot of IEMers and MPAers and Anna, you were NPTS, yeah? NPTS and IPD. IPD, okay. So I feel like that question is so hyper-dependent on which field you're in because I mean, it just, it just is. So in, in your guys' experience and what, what does that look like for you? What have been your experiences? So I've been leading a, a book club for teaching to transgress. And we actually just had a debate about this in our last club about how much of your identity as an educator do you need to share with your students? Mm. And when you bring experience into the classroom, when is it relevant and when is it, you know, like just a therapy session with students or when is it students just trying to get a therapy session with everyone else? And it's, I, and the, my answer to this question is I, I don't know. I, I feel that the, for me personally, it, the choice to obscure my sexuality in the workplace would be a step back into the closet. And so maybe I 
maybe I won't. I don't know, you know, when it comes to, but am I going to be the person who like offers it up as like, you know, hi, my name is Steven. You know, I'm excited. To, I have this experience. He, him, his, and I'm gay. You know, is that going to be part of, does that need to be a part of my introduction? You know, that, you know, how are we going to tear down the structures if we, you know, continue to adhere to the structures? Um, so I think just in my, in my professional experience, it's never been an issue. But again, because education is such a, um, you know, it's all about growth and understanding and critical thinking and, you know, all of that, that it is, it's just a more accepting space uh, for it to happen. But also thinking like, you know, there's some, you know, I don't want it, you know, does it do anything to be the first like gay police cop, top cop in New York City? Like, is that, you know, <laughs> thinking about it from that kind of point of view and thinking like, well, but like even like considering the like the soul of the profession that you're going into, is it antithetical to the person that you are, and should you be a part of that? But also realizing like, hey, you got to make money and eat. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I think I don't know is a really good answer, Maya. Um. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because like. I'm in international education management and I will have the MPA side. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that yet. We'll see. But um, like for my language of study is Chinese. Um, and I'd like to move to Taiwan after I'd graduate, after I graduate um, and Taiwan on the scale of East Asia is pretty progressive, especially with the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, so in some respect, like, I don't think I'll have like too much to worry about, but it is still in the back of my mind. And I do wonder, like, you know, if I'm the face there, would it be, I guess, okay to maybe start like some kind of club? Like I've definitely had students, um, in the past when I was teaching English who like definitely weren't like the normal, like student they like maybe they were more feminine you know if they were a, a boy whatever that means they were more feminine or if they were a girl they dressed more masculine and i no definitely noticed like things between the students and it was weird because it's y'all come on like leave them alone you know so i don't know if it's like my job to like start something when i'm there or if i just not necessarily keep it quiet but I don't want to, I never want to use, for example, my husband as the barrier. You know what I mean? Oh, you can't ask me questions or not even that, but like, I don't want that to be like, oh, you have a husband, like I said before, then you're this. It's like, no, I'm more than this. So I don't know how that will play out professionally. Yeah. I really think about this a lot. I think about professionalism a lot. And I think about expanding that term because, you know, not only for... LGBTQ, but also I talk a lot about mental health and that's really inextricably linked to LGBTQ, to everyone. Um, and professionalism in my mind can be really narrow 
And, you know, I think to myself, like, okay, well, if we're focusing on work, why does this need to come into it? But then I'm like, everybody goes around with this, you know, subconscious narrative or, you know, default that everybody is just hetero, heteronormative. And so, I mean, that's deeply ingrained in like this subconscious plane that we're all existing in. And it's an assumption people make that they don't think about. So why wouldn't we challenge that assumption to make space for that assumption to, to, to melt away? Just like I'm working right now on intentionally focusing on pronouns and not assuming that every, that I know everybody's pronouns, you know, intentionally asking what are your pronouns, et cetera, et cetera. But then I think it comes into the conversation of while I want to dismantle that subconscious narrative, it's also about people's privacy. And if people don't want to share that, that's their right and, you know, power to them. So I think it's a really complex question about, you know, finding a middle between making space in this realm of our identities to be whoever we are, but then also respect individual privacy. So I think that that's, that's what I think about professionalism. Mm. So, um, I have, I think that professionalism polices culture and I am not someone who follows the, uh, white, you know, white perspective of what professionalism is because those blueprints, you know, my ancestors didn't have a seat at the table to decide what that, that blueprint was going to look and feel like. And that was decided for me. And so a classic example is as a teacher, um, in this past five years, I've always had to put my Black identity first. And it made me think about when I talked about that research, right, about how hypermasculinity is so important for Black people, Black men, um, Black queers, because if we are, this is kind of the double consciousness, right, where professionalism says that um, anything outside of what masculinity is, is not human. And so we are more inclined to identify with, you know, being like hyper-masculine, being thugs, taking up these, these stereotypes because, or being black and what that stereotype is, because it's going to at least let us feel human in some capacity, in some form. And um, now for the, for the first few years of my of teaching, I've done so much of it. Oh, Mr. Javier, are you trans? Are you gay? And I'm like, why is that important, right? But why did I need to respond in this kind of defensive way? Why couldn't I have just said, yeah, and what's the what what's to it, right? Um, and it wasn't until two years ago where a student, a group of students um, in North Minneapolis, I was a teacher in North Minneapolis, and they have said to me, there was like, are you fifth grade, six, actually sixth grade students? And they said, um, are you queer? Like, <clears throat> are you trans? Like, what are you? And usually when students say that, that's because, no, I, because of my voice, I like to say, you talk like a girl. Are you a girl? And um, I was like, why you ask? And like, why is that important? It's like, well, we don't have, you know, a GSA here. We don't have, you know, a queer mentor, a queer teacher. That's not here for us. And this is a predominantly black school. Seeing a, a queer teacher or gay teacher um, gives us hope and inspiration. And 
when they said that, that was the turning point for me of saying that I need to stop being defensive or stop hoarding my identity and I need to just invite in and push out, right? And celebrate that. I have to, because these students don't have models of, or role models, right? Of what it means to be a successful, professional, in your terms, queer person. And I have to be that person for them. And I have to be that Black person that does it because Black culture does not give space to be queer. You have to fight that and you have to kind of force people to to to, to respect your identity. And so I think I'm on this journey and this conversation has been really about the journeys that each of us take. I'm on this journey and uh, I think I'm at this the kind of, I'm, at the, I'm not at the tail end of it. But I'm definitely at the middle from this defense mechanism, this idea of I'm losing these relationships to now saying this is who I am. And we have to frame the conversation on the knees and wants of the people who are marginalized. So I'm always framing the conversation around what the needs and wants I am as a professional. And it, and and I always try to think about the ways in which I can present myself and, you know, in a way that kind of challenges, disrupts heteronormativity and I've done it I've seen it I had to challenge you know you know men cisgendered men who consistently you know exhibit sexist behaviors I'm not saying that they sexist but exhibit sexist behaviors um cultural incompetence towards you know queer people lgbtqia plus community and I had to be able I had to challenge that because if I don't right um, then I'm I'm allowing it. I'm complicit, and I allow the system to hurt us. So I have to remind myself, like in the space now that I'm in as a professional, and my best friend, one of my close friends, excuse me, and my best friend Ocean, uh, who are like both drag queens, queer, like queer gender fluid, who's like, listen, one of my close friends was a drag queen and works for HR, um, and. Um, for this well-known organization said, if you do not, if you have to change yourself because of trying to get a job or just to appease someone else, just to, you know, a narrative that they need to see, then that's not the job for you. You know, as someone in HR, I got to always remind people of that. If they don't want you, if you can't wear, you know, makeup on your face, if you can't wear a scarf or if you can't have your nails painted and without them saying something negative, then that's that's indication. It's indication, you know, that they don't want you. They don't celebrate you and you don't have to be there. And so for me, it's a matter of you don't want me, that's fine. But also like I'm going to create my own space. I'm going to create my own business, my own nonprofit. I'm going to be the my own leader in a way that I feel like will mobilize young people and other people um, to disrupt the system in a way that disrupts the system. And so I'm going to create create that space for myself and then invite people in like, hey, welcome to the party, honey. Let me make you a cute cocktail. <laughs> you know? So that's just where I'm at in that journey. What that toe end is going to look like, don't know, but I'm, I'm welcome. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what that's going to look like. Yeah, no, I really love that perspective because essentially, I mean, you're acting out of service. You're saying like, 
okay, like I have a duty to these kids who like don't have a role model. And I think acting out of service is, is something that, I mean, there can be bumps and stuff, but I think it's a really great way to, to show up in life. So I totally, I really respect that. Thank you, Femi. Yeah. What, what about, does anybody else have an opinion on their experiences in professionalism? Anna, do you have any thoughts about your question after all of this? I guess a lot of these are just providing a little bit of insight on what I've already been thinking because I've always been torn because on the one hand, it's a lot easier for me to, you know, blend in. I just looking at my face, if you don't know anything about me or my experience, you're not going to look at me and think, oh, she's, she's definitely queer. So that's something that I've had a tendency to use. But on the other hand, I don't want... I don't want that to be the experience that those younger than us have in the future. I, w- I would like to be a part of making that environment more open, especially considering, you know, like you mentioned before, one of my degrees is MPTS and that the security fields, especially if you're looking at, you know, the three letter agencies and things like that, they are not very diverse right now. There, there's a reason there are programs like Pickering and the Wrangell Fellowship. It's because that diversity is so very desperately needed on all fronts. It's all a lot of straight, cisgendered white men. And if I have the ability to make a change there just by saying, hey, by the way, I'm not your average straight person and why not it as long as it's not gonna come back and hurt me or my family why shouldn't I yeah I I don't know if that makes any sense at all no it does (laughs) I think you know it's just that you know being in these shoes and having our experiences you know um I, I want to say that we have a duty, but I also don't want to impose anything on people. But I feel like, again, it comes back to that service. And your last statement there is something that some people do have to deal with where it does end in violence for them. And so that's something that I think pushing these narratives forward can hopefully normalize them and less violence can occur. Fingers crossed. Yeah. On that note, guys, what do you want to say to... Anybody who hasn't come out, anybody who has come out, anybody in general about National Coming Out Day and the joy of being LGBTQIA+. I can take this one first since I've been last um, for most of it. Um, I guess what I would have to say is it's okay to take the time you need to get there, but there are people all around you that are more than happy to support and sometimes in the least expected places. I know when I've invited people into my experience, I've had them say, oh yeah, so am I. And these were people that I was actually worried about coming out to. So, you know, if you can find a loving and supportive place to go, even just opening up to one person, it's scary. It's really hard, but it's also such a relief to actually be able to speak that reality. So even if you only tell one person when you're ready, go for it, I guess. I would say that your first family isn't your only family. A lot of people have second families. Like I have a second family. We all pretty much, if we have friends, we have a second family, right? So, you know, I guess like be honest with yourself 
laugh at yourself. You know, some of those outfits I wore, oh, child. (laughs) (laughs) You know, looking back, you know, don't fall asleep with your makeup on. (laughs) (laughs) That's the real life lesson right there. (laughs) You know, all those things. I'm just saying, you know, just be true to yourself. Be honest with yourself. And like, if you struggle a little bit, like, get help, you know be if you can confide in someone like Anna was saying like if you can confide in someone like it really does help I really do think if you have at least one person on your side I guess then you know that can really help you not necessarily it could help you come out it could just help you just accept yourself and get rid of the homophobia Mm -hmm. so I guess that my message would be for uh, established queers uh, and to remember that it is the, you know, LBGTQIA plus community, community, like you can't, yeah, community, you can't just think in your letter and you can't just think in your age or your body type or your race. There are from the baby queers who this episode is for you know, ostensibly, all the way up through, it is it is a crisis among queer elders and the isolation, the lack of support, you know, and we will be there one day too, you know, while it may be a joke that you're dead after 25 in the queer community, I, we're all here after the age of 25. <laughs> we are not like, dead. <laughs> li- living that truth that, hey, like, okay, you don't actually die. Yeah. And so needing to make sure that we are building that together and realizing that we've already chosen to, I, we're, we're trying to create a different structure, mm-hmm. you know, and the way that society is structured is we're all trying to compete to get to the top of the pyramid. And like, we, we don't want that, or at least I don't want that. Yeah. And so making sure that we, you know, actually focus on building a new model and building that genuine sense of community instead of just trying to, you know, flip the, you know, just flip it so that we're on top and there are people who are, who are below us too. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's really important. Yeah, definitely. There's totally that classist perspective too, you know, so. Yeah. Um, so my message to those baby queers, baby LGBTQIA plus in affinity, and also to baby Femi, because one day you might see this in a more Afro-futuristic world, right? Um, I think the first step of find a sense of belonging, because I love bell hooks too, by the way, Stephen. I, I pull her all the time. I love her. But find a sense of belonging from, from within, you know, that inward perspective. And so what do I mean by that? Um, I mean that think about the first love you ever experienced. And for many of us, it will always be our parents or for others. Um, and think about kind of what performance you had to do to in order to receive that love and how that performance molded your identity right once you find out what that is because you have to start the process of decolonizing early right in order to get to that place of celebration 
And the most lighthearted part is find your coupon, maybe find you a little bit of RuPaul somewhere, um, find you inspiration in art, whether that's performative art, whether that is music, whether that is writing, um, find an online community where you can talk about those differences, find the flavors of that fear. Because I really love what you said, Madeline, about the whole fear is a general experience but like a very like universal experience but there's different flavors of it find that flavor and then find where you can find that other flavor in the community because maybe somebody might not know what your experience is as a african-american or maybe a latina latinx person um or as a white queer or as someone who's indigenous right or asian but they make they can relate to you in a different type of um, relationship like their relationship with fear might look very different it could be with classism it could be with sexism and so you can always find community through those flavors. And so definitely connect through that way and find inspiration and hope through that. You know, as this message has been so ingrained in my life and I, I didn't think that it was going to be important, but it does get better. I didn't think it gets better was going to be within reach, but now I see it clear and it did. And that's because I was determined to find community and to find hope within myself and look in the mirror and just remind yourself that you are the baddest. You are Beyonce and everybody else is just jealous. <laughs> so yeah, just really do that. I wish I did that early on, but do it now. You have so much growing up. I didn't have that stuff on television at all. I didn't have RuPaul like that. And you have all of it. You have it on television seek that inspiration through that through your exposure to the arts through media and find it and look in the mirror and say yes i'm beyonce i'm destiny's Childs. i'm maybe a scissor i give you a little bit of uh uh i give you a little bit of Nicki minaj you know megan the stallion she's dope like whoever it is be like she's the one and then continue to navigate navigate the world like that um because it is light at the end of the tunnel and i just want you to know that especially because time is so different than how we grew up and that's because we are continuously paving the way to make it better for you yes to all of that i love it well thank you guys so much for being here and i'm just inspired by all of you maya it's great to meet you just i think that Continuing this journey for LGBTQIA plus is hard and inspiring and powerful. My note to baby queers is never forget your power. As much as what other people can do can hurt, most of the time it's not about you. So if you can remember that even when it's painful, I think that I think that it'll it'll be good to to move on. So mm. thank you guys so much. I love all of you and um, cheers for queers.
And it is 8 a.m. here in California, so I'm working at that capacity. <laughs> You're a real trooper. That's a real big cup of coffee. 